Thanks for checking out this message from Spring Mountain. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, swimmountcf.co.uk. Or join us every Sunday from 11am at Abbey Road in Barrow and Furness. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, then please email prayer at springmountcf.co.uk. Galatians chapter 4. Okay, we're talking about relationship. Relationship. And Galatians is quite a repetitive book in its themes. So hopefully we'll be getting the message will hopefully be getting what Paul is writing to the churches. You know, relationships are key. You know, we need relationships with family, with friends, with work colleagues, with church family. You know, I've had a, a sickness bug this week. Anyone else, anyone else had a sickness bug this week? They're the people to stay away from, okay? You know, if I didn't have such a good relationship with my wife, she wouldn't be there to hold my hair back and everything. Um... <laughs> You know, but often you've heard the phrase, it takes one to know one, yeah? It takes one to know one. Usually it's meant as an insult, isn't it? It's usually meant as an insult, you know? Someone says, oh, you're an idiot, child playground thing. Well, it takes one to know one. It means you must be two, yeah? That, that can be what it means. It could be linked to a phrase of... Maybe you've got some insight because you're like that. It takes a thief to catch a thief, for example. I'm not saying any of you are thieves, okay? I'm not saying any of you are doing that. But it could be used as a compliment, couldn't it? It takes one to know one. You know, I could say to, I could say to Simon, Chad, you know, Simon, you're great on the keyboard. And he could say, well, Johnny, it takes one to know one. There you go, complimentary. I could say to, you know, I could say to Raymond Graham, you're such a great scientist. He could say, well, it takes one to know one. Um, <laughs> For those of you who don't know me, I've got a chemistry degree. I've not mentioned it for a while. I feel it's important just for the newcomers to know these things. Then I get the money's worth. So, but it takes one to know one. And Galatians chapter 4 starts off very much like that. It takes one to know one. That we need to, to know. And actually, Galatians 4 and the first, well, from verses 4 to 7 say this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So are you no longer, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. We've just sung it. You are no longer a slave. But God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. It takes one to know one. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. In other words, Jesus became flesh. God became flesh. It takes one to know one. Jesus has lived on this planet. It takes one to know one. Jesus has been through grief. Jesus has been through pain. Jesus has been through suffering. He's been through torment. He's been through joy. He's been through dinner parties with his friends. He's been through loneliness. He's been through betrayal. And it takes one to know one. And do you know what? This morning, you can be certain he knows you. He knows you. Why? Because it takes one to know one. He became flesh. This verse tells us the gospel. God 
became flesh, born into the world in the same way that we are, born as a woman under the law. Why was he born under the law? To redeem those that were under the law. So firstly, he became like us in order to save us. I remember hearing a story, and I'm fairly certain it was either Billy Graham that told it, or it was Billy Graham that it was about. And Billy Graham was uh, one day watching, if it was Billy Graham, either way, this young boy was watching a stream of ants on the garden path. And these ants were all just walking into a load of water, which isn't good for ants, apparently. <laughs> I don't know, I'm not an ant. But these ants were walking into this water, and Billy Graham was like, how can I stop them? So he put things in front of the ants. He tried to put things in the ants' path to stop them from going into the water. But of course, the ants just climbed over. It didn't stop them. So he tried more things, and he put things in the way that would stop them, and it wouldn't work. So Billy Graham said to his dad, Dad, what, what can I do? How can, how can I stop these ants from going to their death? And his dad said, well, to do that, you'd have to become an ant. You'd have to become an ant, and you'd have to tell them all where they're going and what they're doing wrong. And you'd have to point them away from the danger. And that is the story of Jesus. Jesus became like us. It takes one to know one. And this morning, he knows you. No matter your circumstance, he knows you. No matter what you're going through, he knows what that's like. He knows what that's like. So as we look at this chapter 4 of Galatians and relationships, he knows you. Relationship means knowing one another. It's no good knowing, no, you know, not knowing each other if you're in a relationship, is it? It's rubbish. You don't have a relationship. You just have a conversation. But when we know one another, we can be close. I heard a, another situation when I went to Cape and Ray Spring School to do some Bible study. Um, there was a guy who'd become a Christian who was Dutch, and he'd lived homeless on the streets of Manchester, and then become, he'd, he'd found faith, he'd found Jesus, because a church was going around and taking sandwiches and other things, and he decided he wanted to better himself, so he went to this Bible college to know more about the Bible, and on one day, he said to his tutor, let's go to Manchester, I want to show you something. And he walked down the streets of Manchester and he sat with the homeless people, the people who were there who were struggling with alcohol, who were struggling with addiction, and he sat alongside them and chatted. And the tutor from Cape and Ray just said, I don't think I could have done that because I haven't been when those people have walked. I haven't stood in their shoes. I haven't been where they are. And so they could just turn around and say, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to be me. But this guy who'd given his life to Jesus, who'd found truth, was able to sit alongside people because it takes one to know one. You know, we live in a town with many different people. And some of those people, you will be the only people, you will be the only version of Jesus they see. You will be the only version of Jesus they hear. And eventually, the truth will set them free. And then they'll know you and they'll know Jesus. You know, as we read these versions, these verses in Galatians of this chapter, it tells me that God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And that spirit calls out Abba, Father. Abba means dad. We've talked about this a bit before. Abba means dad. It's a very intimate term for a child, for his dad. And because we're talking about dads, it's got to be a dad joke day, hasn't it? 
you know? My favorite one at the moment is, I said to Ros the other day, I quite fancy Beyonce. And she said, well, whatever floats your boat. I said, no, 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 that's buoyancy. But anyway, <laughs> the other one for our American friends, okay? Why did the New York policeman cover himself in margarine and butter every night before bedtime? Because he wanted to wake up oily in the morning. <laughs> anyway, okay, there we go. <laughs> we can call God Dad. We can call God Father. We can call him the closest thing we can have. And actually, do you think God likes dad jokes? I do. Look around. Just look at the people next to you. God loves dad jokes. You know, he made me. <laughs> That's all we need to know. He loves dad jokes. And the verses say this morning, we are no longer slaves. You're no longer in captivity. You're no longer chained up. You're no longer got to go by this, but you're a son. You're welcomed. You're accepted. Loved. All of those things. If I said to you this morning, who thinks they are loved, some people wouldn't put their hands up. But I want to tell you this morning, if you are here, you are loved. If you are here, you are accepted. Not because Johnny Harrison says so, but because the God who made the universe and who made you says so. He says you are loved. You are precious. Marie's already said it. It's almost as if she knew what I was speaking about this morning, that you actually have purpose. You have purpose. That is a promise of God. Yes and amen, we've sung it. I will rest in your promises. Your faithfulness is my confidence. We might not have confidence in ourselves. We might not have confidence in everything that's going on around us. It's very difficult to have confidence in the world we live in. But we can have confidence in the God we worship. We can have confidence in his promises. You know, we are no longer slaves but sons. Do you know that includes you ladies? Don't think, well, I'm a daughter, okay? There's a reason why you're a son, Okay, we can say you're a child, but there's a reason why you're a son. Because this, sons were the ones who inherited. That's why you're a son. Because you can share in the inheritance of all God has. You know, today, sons and daughters inherit. But the Bible was written in a time where it's sons that inherited. So you're a son because you're free. You're not treated like a servant in the household. You're treated as family. You're welcomed, you're accepted. And because you're family, it takes other members of the family to know the members of the family. We love one another. Sons were important as well because it was believed that the existence of a son was what carried on the family. If there wasn't a son, then it believed that the family stopped. It ceased to be. So we're sons because we're carrying the family name of Jesus. You're a Christian. If you've, if you've accepted Jesus into your life this morning, if you've said, yeah, I believe he died for me. Yeah, I believe he can forgive me because he rose again and beat death and sin. You're a son. You're accepted. You're forgiven. You're loved. The family carries on because you carry Christ in you, the hope of glory. A lot of people in our world don't have hope, don't have much hope at all. But Christ in us is the hope of glory. Sons, not slaves. You are important. Why? Because you're able to call God dad. You're able to call God dad. You are his main heir. Now, 
As I say the word dad this morning, some of you may shudder. Some of you may struggle. Because that word dad to you might mean all sorts of different things. The word dad might conjure up an image of a bully. That's not God. The word dad to you might conjure up the image of somebody who was never there. That's not God. The word dad to you, it might bring up images of somebody who's never pleased with you, who's never satisfied, who who can never say a good thing to you. That's not God. The word dad, he's loving. How do I know? Because it tells me and I've experienced it. He is kind. He is faithful. He is always there and he is pleased to call you his child, specifically his son. He is pleased to call you his son. The word dad might conjure up negative experiences. Why? Because your own earthly dad might not have been kind, might not have been loving, might not have been all of those things. He might not have been there. You might not know who he is, but this morning you can know who he is. You can know who he is. And he knows you from the inside out. And even though he knows you and he knows me, he still loves me. That's the scary thing. He knows me, but he still loves me. Not scary, exciting. He knows me, but he loves me. You know, the word dad may conjure some amazing thoughts. You might have had an amazing dad, Joel over there. Incredible. (laughs) You know, incredible father. You know, it may conjure some amazing thoughts. You may have been blessed or still be blessed by an amazing dad. You know, well, I want to say to you this morning, if your dad was kind and loving and there and available, God is better. God is a better dad because he has everything for you. So whether your image of dad is negative or positive, God beats them all. Because God is there. God loves you. God is available. God is accessible. He is perfect. You know, if you ask Joel what his dad was like in reality, he will tell you he's not perfect. He's not perfect. Was that a shock that I've admitted that? Yeah, okay. (laughs) You can't hold it against me though, okay? I'm not perfect. I'm not bad, but I'm not perfect. You know, what does it tell us about God in the Bible? He's slow to anger. I get frustrated sometimes with my children. I'm sure I have frustrated my parents no end. But God is slow to anger. He is quick to forgive. And we often sing it, don't we? He is perfect in all of his ways. He is perfect in all. That's what makes him a good dad. Because he's perfect in all of his ways. Who'd want to belong to a family where their dad was perfect in all of his ways? Yes, please. Yes, please. You know, I said at the beginning, this this book of Galatians is all about the church slipping back into old ways. Last week, after we talked about, you know, let's be free to worship, there was a bit of swaying going on. It was exciting. It's exciting. Some people realize, yes, I can sway. I can move. Don't go back to the old ways this week and say, oh, I'm sat next to the, the English person. I can't do that today. Okay. And if you're English, you go for it too, okay? <laughs> no singling out. Let's go for it. Slow to anger because he is the perfect dad. Quick to forgive. Whatever your image of dad is, it will never be the perfect picture that God is. I'm really sorry. If you think your dad was the best 
he wasn't because God still is. God still is because he's perfect in all his ways. He's kind. He'll forgive, you know. He'll forgive you. There's a little boy at, at Walney uh, who's probably about two who has pushed mum's television onto the floor and smashed it. I don't think she's particularly quick to forgive. Maybe in a few years she'll get over it. But at the moment, she's not been able to watch any television. And the little boy doesn't really know what he's done. But God is quick to forgive, slow to anger, doesn't get frustrated easily with us. Because if he did, we'd know about it. Slow to anger. And do you know what's even better? He's chosen us. He's chosen us. You know, Corey became part of our family. I would argue we didn't necessarily choose him. No, hear me out, hear me out. But, do you know, God chose us to be his family. And God chose this church to be his family. And God has chosen this church to be your family. You know, whether we choose it or not, God chooses. And this morning, God chooses you, and he chooses you, and he chooses you, and he says, come and be part of my family. Come and be my son, because I want you to inherit. I want you to have it all. I want you to be free to be the way you were made to be. I want you to know me as your dad, the one who's always there, the one who is perfect in all his ways, the one who is slow to anger, the one who is kind, the one who is merciful. And what is the inheritance he's given us? He's adopted us. And what is the inheritance? A life in the future with no pain. Who's got pain this morning? No tears. No sickness. Sorry to the doctors, but that's going to be the case. No sadness. No sorrow. No mourning. No loss. That is the inheritance he's calling you into, a life that is full, a life that will be everything you could ever dream of and more. How do I know? Because he promises it. And his promises are true, yes and amen, faithful yesterday, today and forever. We just need to say, yes, I'm in. I, I read a quote as I was preparing this, and it said this, it is not heart, and this is not flesh and blood, sorry, but the heart which makes a father. It's not flesh and blood, but the heart that makes a father. You know, you can be a dad without being a father almost. You can be a father without being a dad, whichever way around you want to look at it. But actually, flesh and blood isn't the most important thing. It's the heart. And you know, God's heart says, I love the world so much that I want to give my son so that you can be sons. I love the world so much that I want to sacrifice my, my precious son so that you can be free. Are we going to accept that? Are we going to take that and say yes? Galatians 4 verses 8 to 9 go on to say this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. I'll read that again. Formerly, in other words, before. When you did not know God, when you didn't have a relationship with God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. In other words, you're slaves to stuff that aren't gods, but you put first. You were slaves to things that you put first. Slaves to things like even television. 
even your job, more serious addictions, more serious issues. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, I like that. It's not, not just that you know God, but you are known by God. You are known by God here and now today. How is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You know, many people in this room have said yes to Jesus, have accepted the way that Jesus has said his best, but then so often we slip back into old habits. We slip back into old ways because our relationship with him stops developing. We decide to focus on other things because we don't get as close to Jesus as we could do. We don't walk with him every day and so we start walking with other things and we start dis distracting ourselves with other things. We start feeding the pain with short-term fixes. Jesus says, don't go back, stick with me. You know, there was a little girl who lived in our house for a while and she used to disappear off around the corner to Auntie Glenn's house quite regularly. And we thought, oh, that's nice. She's going around to Auntie Glenn's house, maybe having a nice chat, encouraging her. Maybe she's helping her do some housework. Maybe she's helping her with the horses. That's really nice. That's really sweet. But why did she keep going back? Biscuits. <laughs> Plain and simple. Auntie Glenn had a bowl of biscuits that was always replenished. So she would go around there, eat biscuits while she was there, and fill her pockets with biscuits while she was there. And then she would eat all those biscuits and go back for more. Till they came out of her ears. <laughs> Not literally. Not the healthiest of diets, that is it. Not the healthiest of diets. It might have tasted good at the moment, but if that's all she ever had and didn't eat a tea, didn't eat a dinner, didn't eat a breakfast because all she was eating was Viscounts, because that tended, or breakaways, they were the other ones, then actually, why did she keep going back? She kept going back to the thing that was unhealthy. That's what we do, don't we? We go back to the things that are unhealthy and yet we have the opportunity of a healthy relationship with Jesus. A relationship that says that I love you. A relationship that says that I accept you. A relationship that says I can set you free. And yet, sometimes we'd rather be chained up by the old. Do you know, all you can eat buffets fatal for someone like me I've paid my money I am going to fill my boots I have paid my money I am not going to stop until I am bursting but sometimes my head doesn't find that out until after my stomach is full why I keep going back I keep going back that extra plate of dessert I didn't need it and the scales tell me it wasn't what I actually wanted but I keep going back because it comforts me a little bit in that short moment. It tastes nice for that instant. It feels good for about two minutes. And then actually I regret it. You know, when we don't know God as dad, when we're not in relationship with him, when we don't know him as the best that can be, then actually we become slaves to so many things. Slaves to so many things. Addiction is all around us. You know. Every single person in this room will have an addiction of some sort. Some may be really serious. Some may be not so noticeable. Food is a terrible one, really, because it's acceptable, you know? 
everybody has to eat. You just have to, don't have to eat everything is, is, the, uh, is the key to it. Everybody has to eat, you know. But before God, we knew no better. Maybe you didn't know any better from your addiction. Maybe the circle of friends that you have, you didn't know any better because it was just what everybody did. It's what you do because it's what you've always done. But this morning, if you are part of God's family, you know him and you know better because he has come to give you life in technicolor. Get out of the black and white and come to know him in all his goodness. We turn to other things than God, weak and miserable forces. That's what they're described as here. Think of the things that enslaves you. Is it weak and miserable? Yeah, probably. God is all powerful. God is all loving. God is almighty. And yet we go back to these weak and foolish things. They promise so much, but deliver nothing but long-term misery. Short-term, maybe it's good, but long-term, not so great. Stop looking to the short-term when we can look to an eternity with Jesus. An eternity, that's the long-term picture, an eternity of freedom and no pain. Why do we want to go back? Because we're in a battle against powers that are spiritually dark, and the only way we can stand is by putting on Jesus and allowing him to fill us. The only way we can stand is allowing him and his strength to stand in us and with us. Yeah? Yeah, good. You're all looking a bit scary. Is it because I told you off earlier? Never mind. Are you struggling with temptation this morning? Sing praise. Sing praise. If you're struggling with temptations, get somebody alongside you and tell them. Get them to pray with you. If you're struggling with temptation, walk with somebody else who's struggled too, who can help you, who can stand alongside you. But most of all, let Jesus in and stop filling things. Stop filling the spaces with the weak and powerless things and fill it with the all-powerful. Quote truth. That's what Jesus did when he was tempted. Quoted truth. Quoted truth. Because the enemy will lie to you. The devil will lie in your head and make you believe things that aren't true. Quote truth, sing praise, see the things that are trying to hold you back and trap you. In the cold light of day, it's easy, isn't it? But keep remembering them so that when they come in the dark times that you know to say, away, away. Galatians 4 verse 16, towards the end of the chapter says this. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? You can't handle the truth. What's that from? Jeremy, no, what's it from? A few good men, something like that. Jack Nicholson. Can we handle the truth this morning? That's the question. If you're not a Christian this morning, then the Bible tells us we need to be forgiven. The Bible tells us that Jesus paid the price for our mistakes and we can be forgiven today. That's the truth. And I can't stand here and say what your mistakes are, but I'm sure we all know them because I know mine. Don't need anyone to point them out for me. I know mine. I know I've got a coffee spill down my front. Don't need someone to tell me, done it. I know I've not, I need to lose a bit of weight. Don't need anyone to tell me. The truth sometimes hurts, but the truth sets you free. Sometimes in that pain there it becomes freedom. We've got to be a people who can handle the truth because the truth uncovers the lies that we're living. 
and we don't always like it. The truth uncovers the flaws in our character and we don't always like that. The truth sometimes is difficult to take, but we are called to speak the truth in love. How good are we at hearing the truth about our character? How good are we at making changes to that character in us so that actually we improve and knock the edges off? Sometimes we need to allow the truth to work deep in our lives. Well, as I finish this morning, the truth is this. God wants you to call him dad. God wants you to know him as father. The truth is that it's all about relationship. It's about being adopted or chosen. It's about being able to inherit everything he has in store for you. Who wouldn't want everything that God has? And yet so often we throw it away on little silly trinkets instead of going for the real treasure. It's about being able to live free from our past. And you know this morning, everyone in this room has a past. But Jesus can set us free from shame and guilt. Because he says there is no condemnation for those who love Jesus. There is no condemnation. There is no criticism for those who love Jesus. That's exciting, isn't it? So do you know today could be your adoption day? Could be the day you choose to say, yes, I need God as my dad. How do you do that? By accepting his son. By becoming part of the family and saying, I'm sorry for my past, but I thank you for my future. And I love you because you love me. Simple as that. We need to stop going back. If you're a Christian this morning, stop going back. Press into all your dad has for you. Stop going back to the other things. Press in to what he has. Why? He knows us. Because it takes one to know one. He became like you and me. He became like you and me. And he knows what it's like to go through pain, difficulty, separation, loss, joy, despair, friendships. He knows what it's like to be let down. He knows you. And he still wants to call you his son. Will you allow him to be your dad? Let's pray.